0: Yes, Lord Jesus, you do, you deserve all the glory, Lord God. Lord, let us take nothing, let us receive nothing, let it all go to you, King Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, and our King. Lord, we've come here, Lord, for one purpose, and that's to honor and worship you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, Father, thank you for this time of worship, Lord. It's not whether we're pleased with it or not, it's whether you're pleased with it or not. So, God, we pray that this this incense rises to you as a fragrant offering, an acceptable act of worship before you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. The title of my sermon is, You Started in the Truth, Now Stay in the Truth. You know, sometimes we got to be reminded of that. Uh, I got saved in 1992. I was in the Navy. Went to a church. I heard the gospel, repented, believed, got radically saved. And I was on the uh, carrier Eisenhower out of Norfolk, Virginia. And so I went back to the ship, and we spent a lot of time at sea. They called it haze, gray, and underway is what they called it. And uh, the, the, the carrier Eisenhower was my mission field. But I was a new Christian. I was a babe. I didn't have a whole lot of Bible theology, a lot of Bible knowledge. I was I was a new Christian. But anyway, I began evangelizing, and what I what I ran into is I I won some people to Christ, but at the same time that I won some people to Christ, I came across people of different religions and and different versions of not different versions of Christianity, but just um, weird thinking, weird theology talking to people of different religions, and sometimes it made my head swim because I was a young babe in Christ. I wasn't settled in the Word. I wasn't founded in the Word, and a lot of times these people would ask me questions and I wouldn't know the answer. I wouldn't know the answer. I wouldn't know how to respond. And It it had me thinking, hmm. I spent the first two years uh, of my Christian walk um, researching apologetics and understanding what I believe And one of the Bible verses that God led me to, and it became one of my wife verses, is Colossians 2.8, which we're going to be seeing as we go through the book of Colossians. And that verse says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition rather than on Christ. And God told me early in my Christian walk, he says, hey, you've started in the truth. Jesus said, John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, the life, 2 Corinthians 13.8. Paul says, "For nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. You, you've begun in the truth. Now stay in the truth. You know that's that, and that's the um the challenge to all believers that that we um that we get firmly grounded in the truth and we continue the truth. Because check this out: deception exists, false teaching exists, and, and we have to be mindful of what we put into our hearts and our minds. And there's one sure way." to protect yourself, to guard your heart and mind, and that is stay in the Bible. Stay in the Bible. Amen? Amen. We're beginning a new book this morning, the book of Colossians, so if you would turn in your New Testaments to the book of Colossians. Sometime in the middle of the first century, the Apostle Paul is in a prison in Rome. And But before that, he went on several missions trips on the second missionary journey. He went and established a church called Ephesus. And scholars believe, and I agree, that there was a gentleman there by the name of Epaphras who got won over to Christ at Ephesus. And after Paul finishes his missionary missionary journeys, Epaphras is the pastor and leader who goes and starts the church at Colossae. Okay? So Epaphras starts it. Many years later, Paul's in prison. Epaphras... Starts seeing some issues, some stuff going on in the church, and he makes a 1,300-mile journey to Rome to tell the apostle Paul what's going on and what the church is facing at Colossae. And the book of Colossians is Paul's letter that he sends back to the church at Colossae by way of Epaphras to say, hey guys, you started in the truth, now continue in the truth. So Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. Epaphras was the pastor. The purpose of this letter, as I said, is to stay in the truth. But the theme of the book is the sufficiency of Christ and the supremacy of Christ. Jesus Christ is supreme over everything. Over everything. He is, Jesus Christ is supreme over tradition. Nothing wrong with tradition, but he is supreme. He's over it. He's supreme over philosophy, which we talk, we'll talk. be talking a little bit more about in my sermon this morning. And he's, he's supreme over religion. He's, he's supreme over religion. There is a God in heaven, the Father, and there is the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is seated at his right hand. And that is the truth. That is not religion. That is reality. That is true. Second Corinthians 13.8, I quoted it a while ago, where Paul says nothing can be done against the truth but only for the truth. He, he, he is the truth. So, so the, the title of my message this morning is, You Started in the Truth, Stay in the Truth. What was going on at the church at Colossae was they were being infiltrated. Uh, philosophy was coming in. The Greek culture, and, and they were bringing in unbiblical ideas and unbiblical thought, and they were trying to mix it with Christianity, and it just does not work. Greek philosophy, the Greeks loved knowledge. Uh, their knowledge was Salvation. They claimed superior knowledge to scripture. They claimed to uh, have visions. And through these visions, they claimed to have deeper insight. They believed that every, here's one of the things that the Greeks believed. They believed that everything heavenly was good. Everything earthly was evil. And what this did, when they brought this philosophy into the church, it caused those people that were influenced by the Greek philosophy, it caused them to deny uh, the humanity of Christ. You know, we believe the Lord Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, was hundred percent God, a hundred percent man. Theologians call it the hypostatic union. He was the ultimate God-Man, and so they—they they had they, they, heresy, false teaching was creeping into the church through this philosophy, and that's why we'll see in Colossians chapter two, verse eight, where Paul says, "See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men." according to the elementary principles of this world rather than according to Christ. This was one of my life verses in my first two years as a Christian in the Navy. I spent two years, you know, researching apologetics, understanding the creation versus evolution debate, understanding the uh, the origins of Scripture, and understanding the authority because I wanted to get it right. You know, just just alone on that subject of, uh, of Genesis, I take... The account of creation in Genesis literally. I'm a young earth guy because that's what scripture teaches. After my, after my research and, and, and looking at scripture as a whole and doing my research, I come to believe that the theory of evolution is a fairy tale for grown-ups because I believe it is written and I stand firmly on the word. So that was the first thing that the uh, the church um, at Colossae was facing was this Greek philosophy. The second thing they were facing that Paul's going to allude to in Colossians 2.16 is uh, the Jewish ceremonialism. People were wanting to bring in the Jewish ceremonies into the church. They want to embrace circumcision, the dietary laws, and legalism. And Paul, in response to this, writes, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. The book of Colossians was written to deal with error, unbiblical teaching, bad theology, and just outright weird thinking. When you mix Christianity with anything, it becomes a slippery slope, and it becomes very dangerous. If you mix if you mix Christianity with anything, in my opinion, it, it becomes a dog's breakfast. Because the gospel needs no help, God's word needs no help. It, it's, it's sufficient. It, it, it is everything, man. When, when we read it, it, it is sufficient in everything it says, from creation to our relationship with Christ to even to what we know is going to happen in the future. That's how firm the scriptures are. So Paul here is going to um, set the record straight. He's going to give them pure, unadulterated, straightforward truth from scripture. Let's pray. And I know that was a very lengthy introduction, but I wanted you to understand, and and I wanted to take you back to the first century, and and so you could see what Paul and Epaphras were dealing with, so we can understand it in in 2019. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, as we look at it now, just pray, God, that you just just strengthen us, and, and again, we've started in the truth. Help us to stay in the truth. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now, this being a corrective letter, I love how the Apostle Paul opens this up. He opens this up. Uh, he prepares them by praising them. He thanks them for their faithfulness, for their commitment. You know, he's not bulldozing them over. He's not pulling them aside and saying, hey, you knucklehead, you need to get it right. First, he's going to praise them for their, for their faith. Look at it, he says um, in verse 2, he says, he says, to the saints, to the faithful brethren in Christ. He says, grace to you, peace from God our Father. He says in verse 3, he says, I, I, I'm giving, I give thanks to you, for you. And he says, I'm always praying for you. And one thing I love about this opening passage is, is this. How do you define a saint? Our culture defines a saint by someone who, who has performed miracles, uh, verified miracles. They've passed on. There's normally a statue to them. There's normally some candles. And sometimes, unfortunately, people pray to them. Is that what a saint is? No. no. That's what tradition says a saint is, but not the Bible. The Bible says here, it says to he 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 parallels them in verse 2. He says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. If you are faithful in Christ, if you're a believer and you're a faithful brother, my friend, guess what we got here in our room this morning? We got a room full of saints. And ain't nobody gonna pray to you. The word, the word, the word saint. It means to be uh, set aside, to be set apart. And that's what God has done to us through our relationship with Jesus Christ. He has set us apart from the world and given us this new life in Christ. So Paul praises them. Let's continue in verse 4. He says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, The gospel. Did y'all see the triad of the Christian faith in there? Paul uh, repeats this um, in two other places, in Corinthians and in Thessalonians. I didn't write down the the verses, but where he talks about the, the triad of the Christian faith, which is what? Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. These are the three things. These are the three evidences of us living out the Christian faith. And that's what he's pointing them to. These are the evidence. He says, um, since we heard of, the first one is, your faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is more than a mental assent. The Greek word is pistis. It means deep conviction of truth. And the conviction is so deep in your belief in the truth of it that it produces a love and obedience. Just right out beside there, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, For uh, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's deeply seated in your heart that you believe that. It's, It's in your head, yes, but it's in your heart also, and it produces a love and obedience. That's what faith in Jesus Christ is. The next one there, he says, and the love which you have for all the saints. John 13, um, 34, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you what? Love one another. As I have loved you, so also you love one another. The second triad of the Christian faith that guards our hearts is that we love one another. We love one another. We encourage one another. We love each other. Not just our, 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 our physical family, but our spiritual family. You know, I have, I have bonds with some of you guys that's greater than Not my wife and children, but my other family members. (laughs) But, you know, other aunts and uncles and relatives. Some of the bonds I have in here are incredible. And I hope that's the same for you. And that's part of our loving one another. And being a part of the body and being together. And then finally, he says in um, verse 5, he says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, so we have hope. What is hope? Hope is is an assurance of things to come. Hope is that we look we are looking forward to Christ's return. We are looking forward to the rapture of the church. We are looking forward to what God is going to do in our bo- in, in our body, and in our fellowship. You know, we're looking forward to the things of the Lord because we feel certain and we feel confident that He will do them in our body, here in our life, in this time. But we also, at the same time, This is looking forward, we have hope, knowing that we have an eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That when the rapture comes, that we will go to be with him. We will have a new glorified body, free from sickness, free from death. That's hope. People want to talk about, do you imagine? I mean, mean, just go with me for a minute now. This is what the Bible offers. Eternal life. That's mind-blowing. It's so big and it's so amazing. Many people don't put the thought into it that they should. We're talking eternal life. I hate death. We we just we just buried my father a month ago, and it stung, and it hurt, and I don't like it. But I have hope. I have hope for eternity. I have hope that I will that my father will be with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that I will be and that all the people will be that receive him as their Lord and Savior. This is, uh, Paul brings them back in to the, to the faith, hope, and love, the triad of the Christian faith. And notice, this is very important. Where does it come from? Look at verse 5. Look at the end of verse 5. Where do, where, does, where does this triad come from? He says, which you previously heard in where the word of truth the gospel of jesus christ the gospel of jesus christ is not a fairy tale it's not the traditions of men it's not a philosophical view it's not our philosophy let's let's look at some bible verses john 14 6 jesus says this famous that most christians know by heart jesus said i am the way i am the truth i am the life no one comes to the father but through me now i could preach on each one of those there's only the first one way there's only one way to god and that's through Jesus Christ. All other ways are not a way. He's the only way to reconciliation with God. The truth. If you look up the definition of truth in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it'll say this. It'll say, the truth is that which conforms to reality. It's truth, it's reality. Whether you believe it or not, it's true. And then he says, I am the life. You know, I like to say, when I say Christ is the life, he is the life here and now that we live and we enjoy with him living inside of us. But he's also, he's also eternal life is in him. There's only one This conquered death, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The ultimate statistic, 10 out of 10 people die. We will, he he died for two days, but then the Father raised him from the dead. That is truth. Let's talk about truth. We're looking at verse 5. Heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Jesus said in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them by the truth. What is truth? Did you hear that question I just asked? Somebody else asked that question in the gospels. Who was it? Pilate. Pilate looked in the face of Jesus and said, what is truth? Pilate went postmodern on us. Postmodernism—it didn't just begin in our time and error, but it began way back then. People questioning truth, questioning reality, and he's looking in the face of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. People like to say, "Man, I wish I was back then. I wish I lived back then. I wish I could have saw Jesus." Really, all people need their need their um, their eyes and their hearts open to the gospel. But Jesus, he says, sanctified him by the truth. Now. Paul is dealing with, with philosophy creeping into the church. And I want to give you a, a biblical, philosophical statement. 2 Corinthians 13, 8. For we can do, Paul says, for we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. In other words, it's invincible. It's solid. It, it's, it's unmovable. You ever, see, you ever heard that bumper sticker or seen the bumper sticker that says this? It says, God said it, I believe it. And that settles it. You ever seen that bumper sticker? Not quite good enough. Just, just want to say it. It's not quite good enough. Because it says, God said it, I believe it. That settles it. Well, it's true whether you believe it or not. It's true whether you believe it or not. God said it, and that's it. It's truth. It's reality. That's, our, that's the foundation of the gospel. That's the foundation that the scripture gives us. Whoa, what a solid foundation we have. What a beautiful thing it is to serve the Lord and to stand on His solid foundation, to agree with Him, to submit to Him, to surrender to Him in truth. Which verse five? He says, "Which you previously heard uh, in the word of truth, the gospel. The gospel needs no, need, it needs no man made help. The only thing that the Scriptures need to be powerful and effective." is the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit to open people's eyes and let them see the truth of the scriptures. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That's truth, folks. That's truth. That's, and that's the truth that we, we started in. Let's stay in. Verse 6. Verse 6, he says, Which has come to you Just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it. And understand, here it is again. Paul's coming back to it. Understand the grace of God in truth. So why is the gospel constantly bearing fruit? Why is the the gospel constantly bearing fruit and increasing? Why? Because it's the truth. It's real. It, it, it and it's spiritual, but it's tangible. Meaning that when the gospel is preached, physical lives are changed. Things happen that in other religions don't, because God is at work. His divine sovereign hand is at work. What is this for a successful ministry? What should we do if if somebody wants to go off and start a ministry? How do you how do you want your ministry? to be successful, according to verse 6. You, you 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 present the gospel. It says, constantly bearing fruit and increasing. That we, we put the gospel at the center of the ministry, whether it's an outreach, whether it's a church, whether it's an orphanage, whether whatever ministry it is. If it's a Christian, put the gospel of Jesus Christ at the center because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that produces fruit in ministry. Then he says there at the end of verse 6, he says, um, even as it has been doing in you also, since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Huge statement there. What does it mean? What does it mean to? Let's ask the question. What does it mean to understand the grace of God in truth? Now we now, now we see saying Paul saying you need to understand grace. What is what is the rest of Scripture? teach us about grace it teaches us there's nothing that we can do to be saved it's God's program he gets all the glory and we don't it's God's grace that saves us we're not saved by baptism we're not saved uh, by confirmation we're not saved by the uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper we're not we're not you're, you're not saved by your good works the Bible says our good works are nothing but what filthy rags that's what it means to understand grace To understand grace means that we rest in two things. We rest in grace and we rest in the finished work of Calvary. That should be liberating. That should be liberating. Because all of a sudden you're like, your heart and your soul can rest and say, thank you, Lord. It's not based on my actions. It's not based on my works. It's not based on my deeds. But it's based on what you did. It's based on what you did. That's what Christianity is. Jesus coming down the ladder to earth to make a way for us at Calvary. And then rising from the dead. And then offering us this new life through this program that God has called grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not, you might want to jot this down if you haven't read this verse before, but Ephesians 2.8 and 9 For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. God's like, you don't get no glory for this. All you can do is surrender and receive me as your Lord and Savior and let me go to work for you. That's what God is saying. That's what what it means to understand grace. Grace takes someone that's a filthy, wretched sinner like me and raises me up and picks me up and puts me on solid ground. He forgives me of all my sin. He gives me a new heart. And this is what he offers to the world. And and, 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 and guess what? That's just the beginning. That's just the platform. And then, then you get to see God work in your life, in your work, in your family, in your church, in your ministry. And he just builds it uh, as, you, as you continue and you move forward and you stay in the truth. He continues to build your life. And you don't become a religious person. You become a Christian that loves Christ. Amen? I believe we are at verse 7. Verse 7 here. He says, uh, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit, Many scholars believe, and I agree with them, when Paul established the church at Ephesus, that Epaphras was a disciple of his, that he won over to Christ. And it, it was from Ephesus that Epaphras went and established the church at Colossae. And then also went and helped with the church at um, Laodicea. You know, we just mentioned in Revelations. But Paul never goes to um, the church at Colossae. But Epaphras does. But Epaphras goes to Rome. Tells Paul what's going on. Paul writes this letter. And Epaphras, the pastor and leader of the church, comes back. But notice what he says to him. He talks about Epaphras. He says, uh, Epaphras, this pastor, he says, he's beloved. That speaks of the relationship that these two ministers had together. They loved one another. They cared for one another. And so it is with us. So it is with pastors. So it is with Christians. So it is with people. We love one another. There's this deep, abiding love that we care for one another. Then he says, a fellow bondservant. You know, a a bondservant was one back in those days that um, after they were released from their indigenous service, they would go back and serve their master freely because he was so good. And that's what Epaphras was to Jesus Christ. And then he says, um, a faithful servant of Christ. A faithful servant of Christ. That should be our heart's desire, to be a faithful servant servant of christ wherever god has placed you in life be a faithful servant to god in your devotion to him be a faithful servant in your service to him be a faithful uh, servant in men the way we treat our wives and in wives the way we treat our husbands be faithful to christ in how we live our everyday life how we live out everyday life so that's that's what it means to to be to be beloved to be a fellow bond servant uh, to be a faithful servant of christ in verse 8 he says and he also informed us of your love in the spirit capital s there in the nasb version but the love that comes from the holy spirit you know before i came to christ there were just some people i had no ability to love i had no care for them no desire for them but when god comes into your life one of the things the spirit will do is he will give you the ability to love. He'll give you the ability to love. The most unwanted people, people that you previously, maybe uh, someone that, that you hated or, or, or grew up not liking. You know, I remember when I came to Christ, I, got, I grew up in Irmo. This, this was my BC days. God placed me in the military and uh, got saved, came back in 95. And, and I went throughout Irmo, going back to all my old friends, Telling them about the gospel, and loving on them, and even I remember very, very clearly. God bringing to my thought and mind people that I, I had offended, people that I had done wrong, and they haven't. They, and this was ninety five. I was, it was ninety one when I left. I hadn't heard from them for years, but I said, you know what, though, I'm going to go back. And I'm going to apologize. I'm going to go back and apologize for some of those really mean, hateful things I did. I went back and made reconciliation. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. That's what the love of God does in our lives. It causes us to go out and make reconciliation. Amen? Now, here in um, verses, we're we're looking at verses um, 1 through 12. So this morning is just an introduction. So now what Paul's going to do is he's going to go into a prayer. He's going to a prayer in verse 9. Verses 9 through 12 is his opening prayer for the church at Colossae that they know these things. Let's read it. We'll we'll, we'll read verses 9 through 12, then I'm going to go back. I'm going to highlight some of the things that the Apostle Paul prayed for. Verse 9, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased, here it is, to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience and joyous, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in his light? Of the inheritance of the saints in light. So, Paul ends this opening, he, he ends this opening section, this introduction, uh, with a prayer, a prayer for the church at Colossae. But you know what though, because it's God's inspired word, and because God wrote it ultimately, it's a prayer for all of us. It's a prayer for you and I. It's a prayer for Christians of all ages. So let's look at it here. And with the theme of continuing in the truth, I want to present to you this morning six truths from this prayer that God has planned for you. And when I say God has planned for you, I mean God wants you to walk in. Six truths. Let's look at them. Verse 9. Halfway through verse 9. The first truth that God wants you to walk in is he wants you to be filled with. With the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So the first thing that the Lord wants us to know, he wants you to know his will. He wants you to know his will. He wants you to know what, what his plan for your life is. And you may say, Pastor David, how do I know God's will? Maybe, maybe you're a young Christian and, and you're trying to, to figure out what does God have planned for my life? What do I do? Give me some <laughs> steps, throw me some nuggets. Here's what you do. Number one, you want to find God's will for your life? Fill your heart and mind with the word of God. Saturate yourself in scripture. Just fill fill your heart and mind daily. Number two, pray. Pray and ask the Lord to show you. Say, Lord, help me. Help me understand um, what it is you're saying to me through your word. And then thirdly, seek godly counsel. Seek godly counsel from Christians around you that know the Lord. A lot of times in my life, uh, God will show me something by a brother or sister speaking to me and saying, hey, man, I see this. It's very heavy on you. You have this gift. And it's com- it's like a confirmation because a lot of times it will already be something that's stirring in my heart. But but ask a friend. Ask a godly, trusted friend. Maybe your mother and Father. Maybe someone in the church. Then after you've done those three things, here's, here's my recommendation. Follow your passion. Because if you've, if you've saturated your heart and mind with the word of God, you've spent time in prayer, you've gotten godly counsel, then the, the only question left is, God, what are you giving me a passion for? And then whatever that passion is, whatever that desire is, go after it. Just, just go after it. Sink or swim, jump in. When you come here next Sunday, when you come to Calvary Chapel Irma next Sunday, we out in the foyer are going to have an information table set up, and we are going to have a lot of opportunities for people to serve. You're going to be able to go up to this table and say, okay, there's a missions trip to Honduras, there's a trip to South Dakota, there's children's ministry, there's youth, there's ushers, there's first touch. We're going to have 12, 10 or 12 different ministries, possibly some Opportunities to go out to DJJ, but there's going to be some opportunities for you to serve. But, but do this first, though. But do this first. But next Sunday, we're going to give the body opportunities to serve. The next one is in verse 10. He says, uh, in verse 10, the, this is number two truth that God has planned for you that he wants you to walk in, is that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Pleasing him in all respects. What's he saying there? He's saying, "Live like a believer. Live like a believer. What God has done on the inside, let it manifest itself on the outside." You know. You know. Remember, faith is more. I talked about this while ago, but faith is more than a mental assent to truth. It's a surrender. It's a, it's a believing. It's a deep conviction that is true, and it's a surrender. It's a love, and out of that, it, it produces an obedience. It says, "Lord." I want to serve you. That's what he's saying. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of what God has done in your heart. Let it manifest itself in the outside. Number three. Number three is uh, also in verse 10. He says uh, that you bear fruit in every good work. That you bear fruit in every good work. In verse 10. Basically, what he's saying here is he's saying serve in a tangible way, serve in a tangible way. And this, I guess, this is when, actually when I should have brought at the table. But we're going to give people opportunities to serve as, as our church grows. But you know, but serving. I also want to make this point that serving doesn't always take place in the church. Okay, you can serve in your community. You know, you can serve. You know, taking your Christian influence. You know, we want you to serve in the body of Christ, but you can also serve outside. And I know many of you do, many of you do, but take it where, where you're coaching the little league teams, or you're helping your neighbors, or you're uh, just helping people in need. Serve in the church, serve out of the church, but um, serve in a tangible way. Number four, he says here, he says increasing, this is this is huge. This was huge in light of what Paul is saying in this book, is increasing in verse ten, increasing in the knowledge of God, <clears throat> and basically what he's saying here is to know Him deeper, to to increase in the knowledge of God, to know Christ deeper. And this and this is why this is huge. We believe what the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Colossians for the error that was that was creeping into the church. Remember Colossians two eight, where he says, "See to it no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies." Philosophies were coming in. Most scholars believe that what was beginning at the church of Colossae would turn into gnosticism in the second century, which is which was a heresy. They, they, they believe that this is where it started. And one of the tenets of gnosticism is this that God is so high, he's so lofty, that he's unknowable. That's what the, that's what the gnostics taught. They, they, they believed in the succession of gods. It was, it's crazy. These higher gods, these lower gods. But they believed that the ultimate supreme God, he was completely unknowable. And what does it say here? Increasing. What is it for Christianity, for knowing the true God? It says increasing in the knowledge of God. You can know God. You can. Any human being that will humbly Come to Scripture with an honest, sincere heart, with a repentant heart. Can open up the Bible and say, God, I want to know you. And through the pages of Scripture, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Through the pages of Scripture, you can have knowledge of God. He is knowable. Now, he is high. He is lofty. But he is knowable because he's given us his word. And that's how we know. That's how we grow in our our intimacy and our love for him. So that was the fourth item in this prayer. The Apostle Paul prays for Colossians. Then look at verse 11. Verse 11, he says, Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. What's he saying here? Yield to the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Spirit of the Lord in everyday life. You know we're carnal people at times. We wrestle, we wrestle with our flesh, and we wrestle with the Spirit. And sometimes we just need to wake up in the morning and we need to say, "Lord, take the wheel, take the reins. Let me submit to you today." Maybe you're having a difficulty, difficult with difficulties with people at work, and say, "Lord, I need to submit to you. I want to yield to you." I want to let your Holy Spirit work through my life. What's the promise of Scripture? I can do all things through I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it's his power. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And you have his power to give you victory over the things of the world. If we'll, if we'll submit to him and we'll surrender to him. But because we're not perfect, we still have that wrestling. We still have that, you know, The deeds of the flesh and yielding to the spirit we still have that fight but when we submit and we yield to the Lord he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit and we can overcome we can live victorious doesn't mean we're perfect doesn't mean we won't blow it along the way but in the end he will give us victory Uh, the final one in verse 12 in this prayer in, in, in the opening Of Colossians in verse twelve, he says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Number six here that Paul is praying for the church at Colossians is 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 that we be thankful people. We live thankful people. Sometimes that's just a cliche, sometimes that's just a we don't think much about it. But we need to be thankful. You, you, you and I need to live, live thankful lives. You know, be thankful that you're saved. Be thankful that you're in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Be thankful for your family. Be thankful for your church. Be thankful for your job. Be thankful for your pets. Be thankful. I mean, I could get the list, could go on and on. But just be thankful. Be thankful for everything the Lord has, um, has brought into your life. Amen? So that's what they were. Know his will. Live like a believer. Serve in a tangible way. We know him deeper and more intimately. God is knowable. Unlike what Gnosticism teaches that Paul's going to be dealing with here. And then yield to the spirit. And then, and, then, and then be thankful. And finally, in closing, the point I made in the very beginning is the, is the point I want to close with. And that is this. You started in the truth. Stay in the truth, and I'm going to add something to it. Walk in the truth. Amen? Amen. Um, amazing book. It was just an introduction this morning, but next Sunday we will pick up at verse 13. And this is going to get very deep and very theological because verses 13 through, um, verses 13 through 18 is, is very profound. I mean, this, is, this portion of scripture that we're fixing, please pray for me in my studies this week. Because <laughs> this, this portion of scripture is deep and it's theological. And what, the, 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 what Paul is correcting them on, you know, they were, they were waffling. In Gnosticism, some, some of them denied the deity of Christ. Some of them denied <clears throat> the humanity of Christ. But Paul, in this next portion of scripture, he's going to deal with the deity of Christ. Which is, when we say Jesus is Lord, what are we saying? Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. He is God. And he's going to give us some deep, profound, biblical truths that we can stand on. That Because it is very important what you believe about Jesus. It is very important that our beliefs and our faith line up with scripture. Amen? Six truths God has planned for you. Pray and, and let the um, Lord work these things in your life. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, help us, Lord, to um, take this message to heart of what you've given us in Colossians chapter one, verses one through twelve. Help us to um, continue in the truth, to walk in the truth, Lord, to 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 abide in your word. In Jesus' name, we pray, Father. Amen. Remember, don't get, don't just get your your Bible feeding at church. Study it daily. Study it daily. You should do this at home. Study it daily and let the Lord feed you and grow you in these areas. Amen.